What do you do when your sexy French wife takes you to court to divorce her for not having fucked her right in six months and then takes all your money and your home and sets the police on you and has sex with a guy on the phone (laughs) while you listen? What do you do? Apparently a lot. That's right. This week, for the very first time ever, I watched... Three colors, white. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. And as you heard in the preamble, we're doing the second part of what will be a trilogy of me doing a trilogy. <laughs> I watched White, uh, the second movie in the Koslowski Three Colors trilogy. I previously covered Blue. Uh, If you haven't listened to that, I'd recommend checking that out. I will say, as these movies don't seem to have much bearing on each other, at least not a ton, I know thematically they do, uh, you can totally listen to this episode, and and if you don't have to listen to the Blue episode for context, uh, they're completely different movies, so... But hey, you should listen to my other episodes anyway. I love watching that view count go up, baby. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Um, do I get into anything? I, I guess I just, I don't know. I figured it was time to watch White and do an episode. I'm banking this one. I don't know when it's going to come out. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> it was fun. I, I was excited to dive into more of the, the Three Colors trilogy. I know that... Uh, Wow, I completely forgot to get my notes out. Let me do that real quick. I felt myself going into the preconceived notions portion already, and I was like, oh, okay, hey, (laughs) you need your trusty notepad. You know, I like like looking up uh, sort of like critical consensus on movies just to to see what people are saying. I do think, actually, you know what? It's kind of a tricky situation. I think that... It's very important that you form your own opinions on movies. There's tons and tons of movies as evidenced by some of the shit I've recommended at the end of my episodes. There's tons of movies that you that maybe a lot of people claim they don't like, but if you watch them, you might just find something in it for you. At the same at the same time, having what <clears throat> what I mean by that is I just looking up critical opinions of movies doesn't shouldn't form your entire opinion on movies. You still need to watch the movies to have an opinion on them. Having said that, I am incredibly reliant on sort of critical opinion because I just, I don't know. I don't like watching bad movies. I don't like wasting my time. There's more movies that have already been made as of the recording of this episode than I could probably watch in my lifetime. And they're still making more movies. <laughs> so I'm never going to, I'm. It's. I hate saying this, but I'm never going to be able to watch every single movie I want to watch. And with time being so precious, I think it's important to read up on stuff and be well-versed on what's good and what's bad. And as much as I think you should give things an honest chance, I, I think there's some merit to, I think you get to a point at some point where you understand what your tastes are and you can kind of judge for yourself whether a movie's going to be for you or not. You're always, you know, it's always, there's always a chance you could be surprised, but 
I don't know. Like I, I thought about it lately. Uh, I was thinking about my Letterboxd. By the way, I'm. I think I'm Jake Ryan Baker on Letterboxd. You should. Uh, people should follow me on there. You you might get like mildly spoiled for what my ratings for movies will be at the end. Although, uh, if you if you do follow my Letterboxd, you'll know that my Letterboxd ranking only like mildly influences what my show ranking will be because it could, it could be anything. But yeah, I'm uh, Jake Ryan Baker on on Letterboxd. Follow me there. I'd love to get more people following me on there because I uh, every once in a while I'll write like a cheeky little review or something. Um, I, I, I want to be more. I mean, I log every movie I watch on there, but I'd like to be more like active on there, I guess. But I just you know I pay attention to what what's good, what's bad, and I uh, on my if you look at my sort of body of of movies I've rated. It seems like I I just must love every single movie I watch ever because it's just like nothing but fours and four and a halves. And I'm trying to be more scarce with my fives, my 10 out of 10s or whatever. But there's not a ton of low rankings on there. And it just probably seems like I'm just some dude who just loves everything. But I, I mean, part of that is because I generally only watch stuff that I'm pretty sure is going to be good because I don't like watching bad stuff, even though I do think watching bad, mediocre stuff can be informative, in ter- especially if you're a filmmaker, because it can you can see where they went wrong and you can try not to make those same mistakes. But yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I should watch shitty cinema every once in a while, but I try to watch the good stuff, and that's why my ratings are so... Uh, high on everything it's just i don't know i feel like maybe i'm not as tough of a critic as i should be but i don't know weird tangent all of that's to say that people seem to regard white of this trilogy the least favorably um and having watched it i understand why although as of this recording i have not seen red so the jury's still out on that although i've seen a lot of people say that red is their favorite so I've got high hopes for it. But one thing that I do think just to lay the groundwork for this movie that makes me a little sad is I think I, I can't help but wonder if this movie was just its own movie with no attachment to anything else, if people would be less harsh on it, ironically. Uh, I, I know probably half the reason people watch it is because they know it's part of this trilogy and it's such a well-regarded trilogy. But I also think it detrimentally is affected by the fact that apparently i mean i know blue is great apparently red is really good and people are people don't judge this movie as its own movie they judge it compared to the other movies in the trilogy and i think people are just harsher on it than they should be because i do think you know i always say this not to tip my hand too much i do think it is a good movie um and it's just as deep impactful of themes as as blue um, it's maybe tonally a little different and I could see the way it goes and the way it wraps up, how people could maybe get a little less out of it than blue. Cause blue in terms of like the grief thing can be so relatable. Whereas this, it's funny, this movie's so specific, but at the same time, I'm, I was looking up like interpretations of it and it, it actually can, some people do take it to be a very broad movie. The metaphors of what's actually going on are basically like country-wide metaphors and stuff like that. Like, literally, they say that Carol stands for Poland and Dominique stands for France. And this was all, this movie was made, like, in the throes of 
European countries trying to come together and the characters can all be metaphors for that. So it really does have like big overarching themes, but in terms of like the actual literal story, I think a lot of people have experienced grief. And from what I know about Red, it's maybe like a relationship or love story. Uh, whereas this one is, I mean, this is a sort of a relationship thing, but it's very specific. I noticed a lot of uh, comparisons to Gone Girl, which I, I guess I do get. Uh, <laughs> I, I see the crossover there, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, once again, I don't have a million minutes to do the show, but I kind of kind of did this to myself on purpose because I liked kind of being under the gun last time just because it forced me to be done by a certain time and that is kind of nice and I'm, I'm more conscientious of it today so I'm not going to rush too hard I've got I've got a little bit of time it's good I've got a well, I've actually got this is probably not interesting to anybody but I've got, I got about an hour and a half to record which is pretty good I, I don't want to go that long uh, so maybe I'll be out of here in a timely manner <laughs> I don't know if I've told people but like uh I record at my job. Uh, we have radio studios, and so I'm just back here, just chilling in the low light. It's good. I I, I kind of like being in this big old building alone at night. I guess like now that I'm saying it out loud, uh, I guess something creepy could happen. But I mean, there's security guards wandering around all night. They're they're on top of it. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> um. But yeah, let's just, yeah, let's get in the movie. I'm looking at the time. I already rambled for 10 minutes. What the fuck? <laughs> Holy shit. Preconceived notions. What do I know? Uh, it's part of the Colors trilogy by Christoph Kieslowski, which I've now heard various pronunciations of his name, and I don't know what is true anymore. I apologize to the man. Um, <laughs> I just watched a video of him breaking down like the opening sequence of this film, and man, just like... So classic, just artiste director, old man, kind of like hunched over a desk with a cigarette, sort of just dangling loosely from his fingers, waxing poetic about the meaning behind every single shot and frame. I was just like, this guy fucking rules. <laughs> so uh, that that's all to say, like, I apologize to the man if I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, I, I know the colors represent the French flag, and in theory... This movie is white, which is supposed to stand for equality, at least in Kieslowski's eyes. Um, and, and I think I think it definitely is about that for sure. It takes the equality thing in a lot of different ways. Equality between countries, men and women, just people in general, class, status, and stuff like that. Being foreign in a country, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in that movie. In, in that movie, in this movie uh, about that. So. I think it definitely is hitting those themes on the head, which is which is pretty exciting. Just I love how I love how much he's packed into this movie. I love how sh I love how all these movies seem to be like ninety minutes long too. This guy's like a fucking champ for somehow making this all work in like ninety minutes. It's so nice to just watch a like a short movie and get so much out of it. Still, I mean, <laughs> just I'm thinking literally. A few days ago, I sat down with some friends, and it was an enjoyable experience, but we watched the four-hour Snyder cut, and I mean, I'm a Zack Snyder apologist, but holy crap, I think, I, I don't doing the math, I think the entire Colors trilogy is maybe shorter than the Snyder cut, and each individual movie packs so much fucking meaning from wall to wall into it. It's It's kind of embarrassing if you compare it to something like a 
like a Justice League or basically any Marvel movie. Like I don't mean to like shit talk uh, superhero movies. Like I'm not gonna get all Scorsese about it, even though he doesn't really. He didn't really shit talk superhero movies either. He just was making a comment, and people lost their fucking minds because some people only watch like super mainstream blockbuster shit, and that's fine. You know, I don't necessarily look down my nose at people like that because not everybody is like obsessed with cinema and that's fine people have other shit that they're interested in and they want to check in and get on the roller coaster ride and watch spider-man punch a guy and it's fun and then they they don't have to think that hard about it like for some people movies are entertainment and distractions and, and that's fine you know you're probably not listening to my podcast if you're one of those people I don't imagine you're <laughs> with the, the Marvel, the Marvel only watcher who tunes into my three colors trilogy white episode. Hello. <laughs> I don't know why it's so amusing to me, uh, but yeah, th- that's fine. If that's your approach to cinema, that's totally fine. But it's also super valid for someone like Scorsese to be like, it's like a roller coaster ride. I mean, it is. It's like, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe Mark Webb is scratching at some really deep themes and we're not giving him enough enough credit for his Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, but I have my doubts. (laughs) I mean, I've seen them and they're fine, but I just, I don't know. It's just funny. Like, like I can't believe this movie's like 90 minutes long and it just covers so much and there's so much to dig into. You could watch it so many times and get something else out of it. And watching that Kislowski video, which I would highly recommend looking up, I, made a mental note to remember what the name of it was so I could recommend it. Uh, it just says Kislowski Cinema Lesson in Blanc, which is, I believe, the French word for white. Just fascinating to hear him talk about the layers and levels of thought that went into the movie. Even like, even when he says something that seems like kind of obvious where, as I always say, if I'm talking about a movie, I'm going to spoil it. Spoilers for white, uh, three colors white. Uh, I'm going to spoil it. But like in the opening scene, he gets like pooped on by a pigeon, right? It's a pretty obvious metaphor, but not only is it just like seeing this downtrodden character get shit on, he really goes into, there was a lot of thought about how the character Carol was just looking at the pigeons in wonder and he was into them and the fact that they betrayed him really factors into the themes of the movie. And just like, even if the metaphors are like, sort of obvious there is like layer after layer buried underneath that and i mean you're talking about a guy who literally was able to break down every single frame of the opening sequence and talk about how much thought went into it it's just so like, this guy is a genius i i think it's fair to say I probably should stop playing with my earphone case because snaps pick up on mics really well i should stop doing it um at some point i saw some sort of description of the colors trilogy as like anti-this, anti-that, and by that I mean they described blue as an anti-tragedy, and they described white as anti-comedy, and they described red as anti-romance. I I think, I assume by that they mean that it's sort of paddling around in those genres, but it's also kind of going against the grain of those genres. And so in my preconceived notions, I just kind of wrote comedy question mark. I assumed this one was like, maybe a little more lighthearted than blue, which I mean, anything is more lighthearted than blue pretty much, except maybe for like a more or something. But 
I do I do think there is a lot of like dark comedy buried in this one. It's a little maybe not slapstick is the wrong word for it, but there's definitely more humor to it. Um I'll I'll mention it, but there's like a couple moments I laughed out loud. I wasn't like busting a gut or anything, but I do like dark comedy and there's some funny like this guy's just getting continually his day just is getting worse and worse in sort of a fun comedic way. Sort of a brutal to watch way too, though. It's it's interesting the sort of line that it walks as far as that goes. Um, but I do think I, I read that the lead actor, whose name I, whew, um, gosh, I'm not even. I'll give it one shot just so you guys, if you didn't look it up, have a gist of what his name is like. His name seems to be Zbigniew Zemachowski. Zemachowski seems like a safe bet, but I don't know how the fuck to say the Zbigniew. Uh, part, but <laughs> uh, he plays Carol, the main character, Carol, Carol, which again is like, I watched a review that was talking about even his name is just the same two names, equality, it's all throughout the movie, which again, like I always say on the show, metaphors are so good for two seconds when you realize it, and then you're like, well, okay, yeah, it seems kind of obvious now, but I don't know, it's, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> but uh, he seems... Uh, to be like a more of a comedic actor that they may be put in a more serious role. And so it's kind of nice. It's, it's, I think this is like your classic, uh, I don't know, you put the movie that's coming out around the time I'm recording this, Bob Odenkirk is in an action movie. Pretty classic comedic guy. He took a pretty serious turn uh, for Better Call Saul and everyone's like, holy shit, the sketch show guy can act. This is crazy. And then, I, I've heard a lot of comedic actors talk about how drama is actually like way more easy to do, which I can kind of believe. But I also think sometimes you just, I like when they do that because they are being humble, but it, it, acting is fucking hard. And so when people like Bob Odenkirk can nail something like that, they do deserve praise. And I, I get the sense that that's sort of the gist with this guy too. And he's fantastic in the movie for sure. Um, I noticed a lot of the reviews were more like, why isn't Julie Delphi in more of the movie? And I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I definitely agree. Uh, she's great. Um, I have not seen the before trilogy. That's another trilogy that I will do for the show eventually. If the show goes on long enough, uh, or I <laughs> had the morbid thought, this is just a joke. It's not really a joke. It, I mean, Take it for what it is. I was going to say, if the show goes on long enough or I live long enough. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I, guys, it's just a joke. I, I like dark humor. Kind of like this movie. Uh, but yeah, she's apparent. People love her from the Before trilogy. I've not seen it, so I don't have this like huge love for her because I just, you know, uh, haven't seen her in a ton. But she seems great uh, for the 10 minutes that she's in this movie. <laughs> I will say I didn't look up that that she was in the movie, so I don't really have that in my preconceived notions. Um, but I had the word white. I mean, the movies, clearly, they have their color themes. I do think this isn't hitting as many white lights. and But that's the thing is I think I noticed people are like, oh, this movie doesn't use the the thematic color as much as some of the as the other two movies in the trilogy. But I kind of disagree the color correction on the film, it's just, it's very subtle, but I do think it's like weirdly brighter and it is lighter. Maybe I'm just tricking myself because I'm looking for the color theming so much, but I think it just looked a little different 
it's not as dark as as blue was and there is a lot of like white objects and light I particularly am remembering when he's on the phone listening to her uh with her uh new uh, lover <laughs> uh there's these white reflections that are on his face there's a little white light everywhere when that does the flashbacks of them getting married it's all white and washed out in an interesting way it's all over the place i couldn't begin to tell you how relevant that is to the plot when i think of the color white i guess i think of i don't know like it's classically the symbol of good um maybe like purity i guess now that i'm talking out loud the fact that maybe we associate white with certain things is racist i don't know uh, i'm sure some people would say yes and some people would say i'm thinking a little too hard about that i'm more just thinking about like cinematic language in terms of sort of like the good guy wears the white cowboy hat and the bad guy wears the black cowboy hat type stuff but i don't know as far as this movie goes i guess carol does kind of start off as an almost innocent character but the I don't think the color scheming goes away. He has that statue, and that's white, and it kind of factors. And I definitely had the thought where I was like, can you make a movie called White? And it's just like kind of weirdly obvious that every character is, is super white in the movie. But I mean, so I don't know. Like, it's it just like, it's funny, especially in this day and age. It's also, it was funny to me too, because uh, I noticed like when I, go on letterbox and type in blue blue pop three colors blue pops up immediately but you go on letterbox and type in white there's like five million movies called white uh and it's like it's you have to do some digging before you see the three colors version and i don't know if that's because this is less popular or if it just is so many dang movies that use that color i guess i didn't really do much research on the stuff that we associate with white i know in the blue episode i talked about how uh, sort of all over the place the meaning of blue can be it can mean sadness but it can also be calming and, and a lot of things white is like I don't know I, I, I this movie is about equality quote unquote I feel like I'm dangerously close to going down some sort of weird race rabbit hole and I don't feel qualified to go down that rabbit hole and I don't really want to because that's a whole separate podcast <laughs> I guess uh so we won't get into that. I did talk about a little bit in the Blue episode that I had started up this movie briefly as I was going to sleep one night. So I knew I had this feeling that the dude I was seeing kind of bumbled around at the beginning was our main guy just because I I'd sort of fade in and out and I noticed it was the same guy in a lot of the scenes. So I was like, okay, the main character is is this dude. So again, that's why I was pretty sure this wasn't a continuation of Julie's story. I figured this one was maybe more of a guy story and boy, is it a guy story, <laughs> but, uh, I also wrote Julia comes back question mark. Uh, if she was in this movie, I sure as shit did not see her. Um, if she's referenced, it must be in, in passing or something. I, I do know that it's supposed to be understood that these movies all take place roughly in the same universe. Um, I see her credited in the cast, but fuck if I know where she showed up. It must have been a real background thing. I've heard that uh, Red does something at some point that sort of ties the whole trilogy together in a weird way. I don't know if maybe Julie will be making her triumphant return 
in that, but we'll see. That's all I really got for preconceived notions. Um, let's just talk about the dang old movie. Um, so uh, if you've been listening recently, you know I don't do summary summaries anymore, but in terms of the general vibe of this movie, it's a movie that's about a guy who he's a Polish like immigrant to France, and he clearly married this this woman, Dominique, played by Julie Delphi. This director has a thing for ladies with the J first name. I don't know. I don't know why that was necessary to say. <laughs> Basically, they go to court and she demands a divorce and takes like everything from him and then pushes it even further to sort of say, hey, fuck you. You need to go. I'm going to make sure the police are always after you. Um, and so just this guy having this miserable time, he's lost everything. He manages to smuggle himself back into Poland where he's from and he slowly builds his life back up and it ultimately all culminates in spoilers for the movie. I would recommend watching it. It's it's a very even if you don't love it, I think I can't imagine regretting watching this movie cuz there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Uh, uh I'm too Kusl- <laughs> I'm too Koslowski movies in and I just can't imagine not getting something out of watching any movie he does, even if it's not your favorite thing. It, he he just takes the story in, in such crazy directions that you never expect if, if you've never seen the movie before. I definitely think these are movies that are really fun to do for the show because I get to be like, whoa, I didn't see this coming, <laughs> which is was originally like sort of the point of the show. It's sort of evolved into... Just whatever now, <laughs> whatever the fuck this is. Um, but yeah, he, uh, spoilers, he becomes like a big time businessman and enacts this really elaborate revenge plot on her to get back at her. And uh, he, for all intents and purposes, is successful, but is it really what he wanted? Hard to say. From his tears at the end, I'd say no. But. Also, maybe they'll get back together, question mark. It's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll get into it. But um, yeah, it's like, I, I guess I'd classify this as a dark comedy in a weird way. If, if you had to ask me what genre it was, I mean, it's it's like a dramedy, comma, and comma, whoa, uh, comedy and drama. The, the humor is very bleak, but it doesn't, it definitely doesn't trend towards depressing for me while watching it, but yeah, the movie the movie opens, which I have it pretty vividly in my memory now because I'd watched that Koslowski opening, but we're juxtaposing the suitcase on this conveyor belt with this guy walking up to this courthouse. And I definitely would recommend watching the video. I re- I, <laughs> I would recommend watching the video I recommended. Wow. Uh, slam dunk on that one. But he, he really breaks down because apparently the suitcase thing was – I wouldn't call it an afterthought, but it's something they came up with later of how to cut the scene up. But it really plants that image in your mind. So when the suitcase becomes relevant later, you're like, oh shit, the suitcase. That was what was going on. And it is like symbolic of his shitty journey. But, and he's talking about how, because I watched an interview with Julie Delphi and then watching the Kislowski interview, he talks about how just the body language, oh, the way this guy's walking, it's a little clumsy. He, such attention to detail. Delphi talks about how 
he basically would just be crouched under the camera, chain smoking and guiding like every little motion. And, and her interviews are really fascinating for this movie as well in terms of uh, talking about the pros and cons of that style. She really enjoyed the fact that the director is putting so much into his actual direction as opposed to some other people she's worked with that are just sitting in the back corner, like drinking a coffee, barely paying attention. Uh, you're talking about a guy who is guiding every little motion, which can be harsh, but also some actors really thrive off that kind of attention and specificity. I hope I said that right. <laughs> I was like, as soon as I was like, you're going to say this word, I hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> specificity, specificity, whatever. Uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> but so in hearing him describe how Carol is moving and kind of anxious, it really, it's not stuff that, I mean, it's stuff you're maybe not noticing immediately, but you're at least subconsciously, you can tell that this is a timid, sort of sad character. He's dressed pretty shabbily. And he, he ends up at this courthouse. He's been summoned. He, he walks up the stairs and scares some pigeons. One of them, he, he's looking at them like kind of in wonder, like I mentioned before. He's like, oh, the pigeons. He's, he's like, it's weird. It seems like he's maybe not the smartest guy in the world, but then he becomes like this insane business mogul. So he's clearly got some smarts, but I think he's just kind of childlike and innocent, I guess, in a way to tie back to the color theme a little bit. But he's looking up at a pigeon and one of them just shits on his shoulder and he's, Looks pretty upset about it, understandably. And like Koslowski said, he's talking about how his he 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 was like enjoying the sight and taking it in, and it betrayed him essentially. And not only is it signifying that he's a character who's constantly shit on by society, but it's also sort of showing you that he likes to give himself over to things only to be hurt, which is I think what Koslowski's trying to say when he's describing the scene in it, I didn't really think that deeply about it. I'm still looking at it as a comedy at this point. And I'm just like, yep, uh, got shit on. That sucks. <laughs> sucks to be you, dude. Um, but he goes in the court and we get this really good scene where it's slowly revealing what's going on. You come to realize that this woman is divorcing him. He seems to not, I was confused by the, I got nervous about my credits, my precious credits, uh, not credits, uh, my precious subtitles. They were kind of spotty here, and I slowly realized it was on purpose, as whenever he was speaking Polish, the credits wouldn't show up, but he was having to go through an interpreter, and when the interpreter would speak French, my subtitles would show up, and I was like, ooh, I like this. I like this little attention to detail, because I got no idea what he's saying until it's run through the interpreter, and then the interpreter has to say it, and you're sort of channeling the way he just said it and applying the words that you're reading to his sort of performance. It was just a really interesting way to do the scene. It's, it's interesting that the subtitles were that thoughtful, that it just didn't subtitle everything immediately. I really like that. But basically, she's like, we've been married for six months, and he has not fucked me, and I am done with him. And it's a really good scene. It really sets the tone for everything, but I'm not going to get too bogged down by it. The highlights for me being he makes sort of an impassioned plea, and he's like, I know I love I still love her and I know she still loves me and the judge is like do you still love him and something that I thought was weird was I know I kept reading like people talking about oh god Dominique's so awful and I once once I started reflecting on what she does in the movie I'm like yeah she is 
kind of bad, I guess. But I do feel like they talked about how, oh, she never, she says she never loved him. But I'm almost positive in this scene when they ask if she did love him, she says, she either says yes or doesn't answer. And when they ask, does she still love him? She does say no. And he's like heartbroken. But I took that to mean that they were in love and things have gotten bad. And that's why she wants out. You know, I think the sex stuff in here is obviously very, you can take it very metaphorically, especially if you're applying the uh, reading to the movie that this is about Carol's character essentially being Poland and Dominique's character being France and them trying to find a way to create a union and, and struggling to do that by using sex as the metaphor. But it's also like, it's interesting. I, it, weirdly, this movie made me think a lot of uh, Bonnie and Clyde because the impotence, uh, the uh, impotence subplot, I guess, for lack of a better term, is very important to that movie. Uh, I do. It is fun watching a movie about a woman who's frustrated a, that a guy can't get it up because it is. There's a lot of layers to that. I, 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 I'm surprised we don't see more stories like that. I don't know if dudes are just terrified to tell stories like that or what but it makes for like an interesting dynamic because it creates like sort of a uh the woman in in the relationship or, or just you know the person in the relationship that's not being sexually satisfied i like that it makes them sort of dominant and aggressive and i like seeing a, a female character you know that really wants that and it's fun seeing a male character being put in such a low status position by not being able to do it but it's also you do feel bad for him to a certain extent there's it creates this sort of complex situation that's really fun to watch and it makes it really tough where i mean the he gets out of court he finds out none of it he doesn't have access to any of his funds it doesn't explicitly say it but reading up on the movie it's like heavily implied that they shared accounts and stuff so she took all the money and froze his shit he doesn't have anywhere to go i think they owned a shop together. He still has the keys though. So he breaks in and sleeps there that night. And then the next day she comes in, sees him sleeping there and she threatens to call the cops. But then they have this weird intimate scene where he summons her over and starts kissing her and she grabs his crotch and like super duper close up and stuff. And it was like, Ooh, okay. And then seems like he's kind of like looking at her like, yeah, I'm ready to go. We're going to do this thing. And she, it pulls it out and hops on, but then about like three bounces in, it seems pretty obvious that he wilted. Um, and so he's all like, I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here seven minutes into the movie. I'm just like, no, I like, I knew get like, you never know which direction the movie's going to go, but I had a feeling it wasn't going to just immediately work out for them. But when, when he just apologizes and it seems like it's not happening, you're just like, fuck, that's so shitty. But um, she, she gives like a really nice little monologue here too. I love the metaphor of the language barrier because she's talking to him like, she says, if I said I love you, you wouldn't understand. If I say I hate you, you won't understand. She says a couple more things. She's like, do you understand? And he just kind of goes, no, because he doesn't seem to speak French. I mean, I don't know how the fuck they got married in the first place if they couldn't even talk to each other. But <laughs> again, I think we're we're operating on a slightly metaphorical level here. I mean, you do find out that he's like a hairdresser and she was at a competition that he was at. 
And and you find out he's a really competent hairdresser too, which I think is important to his character because he seems like such a bumbling idiot and he goes through so much shit. When he finally like told somebody in the movie he was a hairdresser, I was like, I'm sure. But then he seems to be very in demand. And so I was like, oh, I guess he is like good at his job, which adds like a weird layer to him. But you can kind of do the math. They met at a competition and fell for each other. He's not like stunningly handsome, but he's he's fine looking. She's, I mean, I hate, I hate, like, I never want when I say stuff like this to be, come off as objectifying somebody. I don't like doing that. Um, I, I find it demeaning, especially when you're talking about actors. You should be more focused on, you know, their acting ability and stuff like that. But I'll just say, for all intents and purposes, Julie Delphi in this movie is, ridiculously gorgeous like uh, uh, unreasonably gorgeous but again even that adds a weird weird layer to it where it's like because she's in it so little uh, her her beauty does add this this sort of level to the longing that he has for her we as an audience member can sort of really get on board for even though we don't know her that well as a character, we just see how beautiful she is. And it, it's really easy to imagine her as, as, as someone that we would desire as well. And again, like I said, I don't want it to ever sound like I'm objectifying anybody or anything like that, but it is worth commenting on. I mean, it's, it's a facet of acting. I mean, it's like classically, it's always been for the pretty people and stuff like that. And, and I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and I 100% believe that. But I also think it's not terrible to acknowledge when someone is sort of conventionally attractive because people's, I mean, looks are very important when it comes to film. And people get cast based on just the vibe that they present just from how they look. And, and it is important. And I don't... And I, I hope I, by talking about it, it doesn't ever sound demeaning to someone because great actors can almost fit any role if they really want to. And people should be more open to being more diverse to certain casting and not be super locked into certain ideas of what a character should be. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I can't imagine anybody watches this movie and it's just like, oh, yeah, Julie Delphi, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, she's fucking incredibly beautiful. Uh, <laughs> but in this scene, she gets upset and she just takes a lighter and sets fire to her curtains. And she's just basically like, I'm going to tell the cops you tried to burn my place down. You're always going to be on the run. And I think this is like the key part of where I I maybe wasn't picking up what the other people were picking up. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit contentious here and say... I guess I didn't fully believe that she was literally going to do that. And even though later he says, I'm wanted by the police, there's something about the fact that I never see him really on the run. Like he has problems because he doesn't have a passport. And I'm not really sure why he doesn't have a passport. I, I never saw him get his passport taken, but he doesn't have any money. He can't get back to Poland, but there's never a scene where he's, cited by the cops there's even a scene where he's playing in the subway and there's like some cops standing right fucking there and they walk past him i thought they were like gonna hassle him or something and they don't so i guess personally and i could be wildly off base about this but i never got the sense that she actually sicked the cops on him 
Um, and I do think, yes, it's shitty that she froze his accounts and made him homeless. It's terrible. Uh, but I, I, where the movie goes, I was like, Jesus Christ, he's going so far to get revenge. And people are, and then in the reviews, people talk about what a piece of shit she is. And even she herself, because the very last scene of the movie is something they shot months after they shot the movie to sort of weirdly give her character a little bit of a, re not redemptive arc, but just a little, a little button on the end. And I hadn't been thinking about her that badly the whole movie. And I, I, I wonder if a lot of it hinges on the fact that I actually didn't think that she called the cops for real, or, or at least sick the cops on this guy. And I don't know if I'm just being obtuse by saying I needed a literal scene of the cops coming after him, but I don't know, like the movie, it goes all over the place, but then at the very end, it becomes this really elaborate revenge plot. And I was like, Jesus Christ, dude, like I kind of started to frown a little bit and I got a little off board for where it was going. Cause it just seems so far when in my head she had divorced him. And, and again, yeah, she, I think it's implied she froze his accounts and, and it is shitty, very shitty. But as far as he goes, if you're talking about, I've heard people talking about this movie because it's about equality. They use that phrase eye for an eye. This is like some like pinky finger for an eye shit here, uh, in my opinion. But I don't know. Uh, I didn't take it super li literally that she was gonna like do that to him. I guess I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I it could just be that I tend to be more sympathetic towards the women in movies. And so if she's acting a certain way, I'm just inclined to believe that he sucks and he does kind of seem like he sucks. And so uh, we don't see him be a bad husband other than it's, we're told that he's somewhat impotent, but I guess I wasn't, I weirdly was operating under the assumption that there was more to the story and maybe I'm wrong about that, but hey, I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. That's just how I viewed the movie, just to lay my cards on the table. Slightly important moment where he's wandering around and he sees a statue. He seems very enamored with it. Um, we cut to him playing in the subway station. He's he's like playing a comb like it's a harmonica. Don't even know if this is a thing that can actually be done. I guess I assume it is, but he seems pretty disheveled. He's He's got like a super... If, if if like a little bit of stubble's a five o'clock shadow, my my guy's rocking an, an eleven o'clock shadow, so it's been a little bit. But he's playing this song, and this guy who kind of looks like a Polish chubbier, like he looks like Ian McShane and John Candy had a baby, um, and that baby was a really sad faced but kind of lovable looking guy. <laughs> uh, he stops and like gives Carol some money and then kind of keeps chatting with him. Uh, it was just something about the fact that Carol's like sitting in his suitcase and the guy's like towering over him. There was like, I immediately started going in like weird sexual directions with it where I was like, Ooh, what's going on here? Uh, but he's like, he recognizes the song cause Carol's playing like a Polish song and they connect and they end up chatting. And the guy talks to Carol a little bit. He's basically like, so there's like this job where I, uh, if you need to make some money, I know this guy who wants to die and uh, he'll pay good money for somebody to do it because he doesn't want to do it himself. Carol is kind of like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. He talks to 
the guy's name is it's really tough because it's even got like little slashes and weird marks in the subtitles but i'm gonna i'm just gonna call him mikolog uh mikolog 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 fuck me uh i said i'm gonna call him a certain thing and i can't even settle on that Ooh. uh i'm just gonna go with mikolog how about miko <laughs> mikolog it's fine mikolog uh <laughs> he he tells him his woes, even brings him up the stairs, which is kind of a funny reveal, actually, in retrospect. He's basically a stairway away from Dominique's apartment, and he clearly watches her go to bed every night. He's spying on her. He hangs out in the subway station near her place. And he's like, look, she's going to sleep. The lights go off. Then they come back on, and some guy is coming in to lay on top of her. And he's like, no. And he runs to a payphone and calls her. And she's like, oh, great timing. Listen to me. Fuck this guy. And she's moaning. It's like really intense. I really like the angle of the shot, though, through the little uh, phone window, white lights all over his face. This is our first sort of glimpse into him standing up for himself, though. I think it's important because his money runs out a little too quickly. It goes from like two francs to zero instantaneously. He turns around and confronts the train station guy behind the the sort of uh, desk with the screen or whatever. And he's like, your machine ate my money. And the guy's like, yeah, so fucking what? But Carol's actually like really mad and mildly intimidating. And he demands his two francs back. And the guy gives him this coin, which becomes pretty... Uh, thematic not sim it's a it's like a symbol throughout the movie he has this two franc coin it's the only money he has to his name and he ends up hanging on to it for a lot of the movie and i also think the scene's important because the anger that he has at dominique in this moment for like i mean they're kind of not together but she they're still married technically basically as uh, to use a term that got co-opted, unfortunately, but it's still kind of a funny term. He's getting cucked on the phone, and it makes him mad, and he stands up for himself and actually sort of gets somewhere with it, which I think is laying the groundwork for where the movie goes later. But he, he goes back to Mikolaj, and he's like, I know how I'm getting into Poland, and you're helping me. And we get like a fun scene where he's Mikolaj is like sitting next to the suitcase, and it burst open and Carol's in there and you can, you, you understand he's going to try to ride the suitcase to Poland. So they do it. It's a fun, like elaborate sequence when they get to Poland, the suitcase doesn't show up and make just like, Oh shit, that's not good. We cut to this car driving erratically out in the countryside. It seems like some guy who works at the airport and his buddies stole some luggage that seemed worth something. they, throw it on the ground. And this whole time when the suitcase is getting tossed around, you're like, no, Carol's in there. Oh no. And they finally like open it. And <laughs> the one time in this movie, I laughed really hard was they open the case and the subtitles just like, fuck, it's a guy. And I don't know why, but the way it was phrased made me laugh so fucking hard. And Carol climbs out. He's obviously completely, out of it because he's been in a suitcase for hours and been thrown all over the place. And they just immediately start beating the shit out of him. They try to take his money, his two francs, um, but he snatches it back and uh, fights them off. But then they beat the shit out of him. 
They he he stole the statue head that he saw earlier. He that was like the one thing he 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 took with him on this trip because it symbolically meant so much to him for some reason. And I, I think he views it as this sort of representation of how he sees Dominique. If I had to guess, especially based on him making out with it later, uh, but. They, uh, it crushed me because they pull that out and they toss it and it seems like it shatters immediately and it did. And I, I'm, I'm a real sucker for objects that people attach uh, sort of uh, meaning to when they get lost or broken. I hate that. I hate seeing that. They throw him down a hill. He recovers. He sees his smashed up statue. It sucks, but he's kind of like, I'm home. And he's just in this shitty countryside. And again, going back to sort of the metaphor of Poland versus France. I think here, a lot of what we see of Poland is just like, it just looks, and I don't mean this as a diss to Poland. I'm sure Poland's great, but this movie makes it look really shitty and really backwoodsy. It's nothing but mud and shit and gray, and it sucks. He he stumbles back home to this uh, salon that he it seems to be owned by his brother that he used to work at. His brother takes him in, lets him recover and nurses his wounds. People are actually excited that Carol's back because he is sort of a around there, pretty well-renowned hairdresser. There's a lot of people that are like, Carol's back? I want Carol to do my hair. His brother keeps talking about how now that you're back, nobody wants me to do their hair. They want you, which is, it's just like I said, a little fun touch to the character where he, he does seem to have some competency and weirdly, now that he's back in his home country, he's not like high status, but he is being treated a lot better than he was in France, which I think is important to like the thematics of the story, both through his relationship with Dominique and sort of, again, the country European metaphors that the movie's dealing with, which I don't, I'm not going to get too much into that because I couldn't fucking begin to tell you what European politics were like when I was three years old. So... I don't really have a leg to stand on as far as that goes. I'm just saying it's worth acknowledging because as far as I can tell from the critical analysis of this movie, it is pretty relevant. Uh, but yeah, I think it's important that Poland looks shitty. I think it's important that he's kind of well-regarded once he's back. And then from here, it's kind of interesting. I, I found the structure of this movie to be kind of fun because a lot of times, you know, you get introduced to a character, they get thrown into a situation and then you see sort of their ups and downs. And s somehow because this movie begins with him just getting shit on for 30 straight minutes, we get what seems like a really extensive period where he's actually doing pretty well. He gets back to cutting hair. People love it. But he, he really wants to make more money. So he takes this sort of shady job being the bodyguard sort of for this guy, it never explained what this sort of mobster adjacent guy does, but Carol is walking around sort of this place where he, he hangs out and just watching for people, but he's making good money doing this and he's hanging out with the mobster guy and picking up on little details and stuff. And he's kind of thriving a little bit. He's learning French. We get a weird scene where while he's learning French, he kisses the statue but he's riding with his new boss and he finds out that there's these big companies that are going to buy up these plots of land for big sums. Ikea is mentioned. I recognize that. And 
he beats him to the punch. He takes a bunch of money and buys this guy's land. So he knows that either when Ikea comes knocking or the guy that he works for comes knocking, he can turn around and sell the land to him for like a shitload of money. And we don't really, it's never explicitly explained. And and you realize later what he's up to, but he is just, he is on this quest to make as much fucking money as he possibly can. He meets up with Mikolaj again and asked if the deal about killing somebody still on the table. It was at this point I was like, oh, I, I kind of suspected it earlier, but there's this weird line where his brother's like, this guy came to visit and asked if you were here. And his and, and uh, Carol's like, oh, was it Mikolaj? I should talk to him. Do you leave a number? And he's like, no, but he meant he describes Mikolaj as like sad looking. And for some reason, it was that line that really clicked into place for me. I was like, oh, he's the guy who wants to die. So sure enough, when Carol goes to visit him, he's like, does that guy still want to die? And Mikolaj is like, oh, yes, big time. In fact, he's even right here in Warsaw. And I was like, yeah, okay, I I see what's going on. Uh, And I I think Carol kind of understands what's going on, too, because he shows up at the train station and Mikolaj is there. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering that name. I'm just going to keep saying it. Uh, But he's there, and Carol doesn't seem too surprised to see him. But I, I really like the sequence where... Carol's like, are you sure you want to die? And Mikolaj is just like, yes. And so Carol takes a gun out. He has like almost a throwaway line about, you can buy anything these days, which is weirdly important later. But uh, Mikolaj grabs the gun, puts it to his chest. I I did have a bit of a laugh because at some point Mikolaj said, the money's in my pocket, take it afterwards. And I was like, is it in your pocket right next to your chest? Is Carol about to blow a hole through this wad of money? Because I'm still in bumbling comedy, everything goes wrong mode at this point. But Carol pulls the trigger. Mikolaj falls. Ooh, what you say? Ooh, when you only want. Ooh, what you say? It's like slow motion. <laughs> Carol uh, catches him. He falls. He opens his eyes. Carol reveals it was a blank. Now tell me, do you still want to live or do you still want to die? He says, like, it's basically like, are you still sure? And Mikolaj is like, he just does this like really sad little head shake. And he's just basically like, no, I'm not sure anymore. And, and Carol's like near tears. And he's so relieved when Mikolaj says he doesn't want to die anymore. And it's funny because you do kind of weirdly in that moment get the feeling Carol would have gone through with it if he still wanted it. But Mikolaj pays him, and it's just a really cool scene where it it goes a long way towards making you kind of like Carol because he had the wherewithal to come up with this sort of almost trick to prove to this guy that life is not – it's still worth living if in that moment when you thought you were dying, if you had a regret occur to you as it was happening – you maybe rethink it. It's really cool. Like it's a real standout sequence in this movie. It's almost worth the price of admission, honestly. And you get a fun scene where they're running around talking about how they feel like kids again. They feel renewed. Like Carol really has done a really big favor for Mikolaj by not taking his life callously and caring enough to. I mean, he it is a little mean to play a trick on him, but you know, I think the intention was pure. Uh, again, it's just, it is really cool. It's nice. I, I liked it. <laughs> uh, 
but Carol gets a visit from his former boss and his other henchmen, and they're not henchmen, but partner or whatever. They're pissed. Uh, basically threaten to kill him, but Carol's like, if you kill me, all my land goes to the church and you're fucked. And so you're like, oh shit, Carol's Carol's a clever, clever boy. And they're like, oh, we can't kill him. The gist of it is basically like, Carol's like, you're going to buy the land from me for basically 10 times what I paid. I'm going to make a lot of money. And you're probably still going to make not nearly as much as you thought you were, but you'll still make a decent amount, I think is heavily implied because we never see these fuckers again. This is just sort of a weird plot point in this movie. But it's all to set up that Carol has a big old nest egg between the money he got from Mikolaj and the money he got from selling the land to these people. He decides he's going to start a company. What kind of company? It's never explicitly said. Seems to be some sort of shipping goods company because they deal with a lot of different things. Uh, but, you know, Carol starts slicking his hair back and he's big bad businessman now. And uh, I do love the symbology of he's his hair, especially as a hairdresser. The way he wears his hair is, is very indicative of where he's at in the story and stuff. And yeah, he just, he's a big time businessman now. He gets Mikolaj to go in with him. They seem to be really successful. He's a big he's a big time guy. There's a weird scene where he's like, How thick should that wall be? 20 inches. Well, it's 18 inches. Well, make it 20. Well, we have to knock the whole thing down. He's like, Well, I guess you have to. And you're just like, ooh, big time boy. And I do like around here where he calls Dominique back in France and he's just kind of like I just wanted to hear your voice and she just hangs up on him. And so it's in this moment because we haven't really mentioned Dominique for probably like 40, 50 minutes of the movie. You've almost not necessarily forgotten about her, but it's in that moment when you realize almost everything he's doing is just driven by the fact that he he clearly, he says at least he still loves her. It's his sole motivation. It's very, uh, interesting to think that a guy maybe started a business empire almost as a way to get back at his ex-wife. And I didn't realize how literal that was until he decides that he's going to fake his own death to lure his wife to coming to Poland by leaving everything to her. And it turns out to be this weird, long, elaborate revenge plot it builds up to it slowly. He tells Mikolaj, like, don't be surprised if you see my obituary. He gets his, his like, uh, driver slash butler assistant guy to get a death certificate. And then the uh, you can buy anything line comes back to where they buy a body to fake his death to bury instead of him. And sure enough, Dominique shows up and he's watching and she does like shed some tears at his funeral and you're you're kind of not sure what he's after at this point. I, I don't really know what his game is. There's a lot of talk about him getting on a plane and leaving for Hong Kong and all this different stuff. But it is sad because it seems like him and Mikolaj are like good friends and he seems sad to for Carol to go. But because of how understanding Carol was in his situation, he's weirdly not questioning what Carol's up to. Carol literally goes, do you want me to explain what's happening? And Miklaj is like, uh, no, I'm good. 
you just do your business and I got your back. And you're just like, I mean, MVP character in this movie for sure. I mean, the Butler guy is, is, is the, the driver gets like no love and he's, he actually does all faking a death certificate and getting a body and shit. Uh, but yeah, they get the body for his, I, I wanted to mention um They get the body for his burial. And this is the moment where there's multiple scenes in the movie where Carol is looking at this coin there's even a point where he goes to throw it in the river and he tries to throw it, but it sticks to his hand and he kind of looks at it like, yeah, this means something for that. I wasn't able to get rid of this. This is the one coin I protected on my way into Poland. I'm trying to cast it aside, but my, I'm not ready to cast it aside. And uh, when he's looking at the body in the coffin, he lifts the coffin lid and slips the two franc coin into the coffin, which is very, I think symbolic of him finally, letting go, although he's not really letting go because this is all part of his elaborate revenge plot to get back at his ex-wife, Dominique. She goes to his funeral and she spies on him, sees her cry, and when she comes back to her apartment, he's in bed, possibly naked, uh, and she she's obviously understandably shocked, but he kind of curls up with her and explain, barely explains anything, but he just is like, I saw you cry at my funeral. Can I touch you? He lays his head on her lap and he has like a line about, I've thought about this for so long. And I'm like, you must must have, because it seems like you built an entire business empire to get to this moment. <laughs> but they start kissing and they they finally do the deed. He he's on top of her and he's going, and I'm I'm sitting there like, is he gonna do it? And she's moaning louder and louder and louder. And yeah, it seems like they do it. And it's kind of like as a first time watcher, I'm like, yay, they consummated it. Maybe it'll all work out. But then it leads to he leaves and then the police show up and they're all, they think that she had a hand in his murder because she stood so much to gain for him dying. And she, she's trying to fight it, saying he's still alive. She calls Mikolaj like, he's still alive. We need to do something. Mikolaj is being a real bro. And just being like, uh, if you want to visit him, he's uh, still in the graveyard. You can visit this plot. And you just watch her slowly coming to terms with what's happening. And she just kind of shuts down as she's being questioned by the police. And you just, the, the movie just ends with uh, Carol. Seems like he's packing for his trip. I assume he's just going into hiding. But the scene that they end on, they apparently shot like six months later. And... You know, if you go by the way Julie Delphi describes it, it seemed like Koslowski sensed more of a humanity in her character than maybe they originally intended, and he wanted to add sort of an addendum to the movie. I don't really know how it was like supposed to end, maybe him just walking off in the distance or whatever, but the last scene in the movie, as is, is him visiting the prison where she is, and so I, I was constantly reminded that this was a 90s movie once it was like post his death thing. Cause I was like, man, he's just straight up walking around and nobody's doing anything about it. But what would you do in the 90s if you wouldn't know some guy was supposed to be dead? There wouldn't, there's not security cameras everywhere, cell phone footage. So even though some people talk about how unbelievable the last part is, it, it, it kind of adds up a little bit. I mean, we don't, I think there's a reason we don't see the police delegations of trying to nail her for his murder because some of that maybe doesn't add up. But <laughs> all that being said, he he visits her in prison. He looks through his binoculars and sees her in the window. 
and she makes this sign language stuff at him, which from reading up on it, at least at least Julie Delphi seems to think that uh, she's basically saying, when I get out of here, let's get married again. I still love you, essentially. And it's, I guess, meant to A, humanize her character a little bit and B, give the movie a slightly hopeful ending because essentially the movie ends with him being dead, which means he can't really show his face again. And she's in prison these characters have, have essentially destroyed each other, which is, you know, kind of rough and tragic when you really break it down. And But by throwing on this, not throwing on, but by putting in this ending where maybe there's a chance for them to still be together, maybe after all this bullshit, they, they were meant, they still do love each other and they were meant to be together. And that is what happiness is. I, I think... You can take the movie however you can take the ending however you want. You can take it as the hopeful ending where these two fucked up people end up together, which is sort of like the hopeful version of Gone Girl where the two fucked up people end up together but they hate each other. You can take this as the version where maybe they do love each other. Maybe she respects him now cuz again this movie is about equality and the fact that he did all this and stood up to her you know, there's a line early in the movie where she asks if he's scared of her. And I think that maybe she is a dominant, aggressive woman and needed a man that could, maybe not a man, never mean to assume people's sexuality, but she needed a partner who could match her energy. And if she's this fucked up, she needed a, a person who was as fucked up as she was. And now they're on the same level. And it's maybe depraved, but I, I almost choose to interpret the movie that way because I think it's more fun and pleasant. I love when two fucked up people end up together. But you can also, you know, they both are sad and they ruined each other's lives. You could take it that way. Uh, I've seen some people interpret her sign language as, I'll see you in hell and we'll be together in hell. <laughs> like, yeah, I, But I mean, I, I do think in terms of the theme of equality, they do end up in the same place and... Does she actually really love him? I don't know. That's up for the viewer to decide, I think. Um, I don't really have enough information either way. I do think, weirdly, her acceptance of what happened and seeing her in prison does kind of add weight to the fact that she's like, nope, he got me. Whoops. I do think what I spoke about before of I didn't necessarily think she sicked the cops on him. I think maybe he's gone a little too far. And, and maybe that's what the part of why this basically like when the cops storm in and I realize what's going on in the movie, I was like, Jesus Christ, Carol, what are you doing, bud? It is, that's a little intense, but if you, I guess, assume that she did do all this stuff to him, it really does come instead of my pinky for an eye analogy. Maybe this is some eye for an eye type stuff, but you could also argue that he never would have made anything of himself if he wasn't motivated by her to, have that drive the drive of uh, almost out of love and spite it's part of why at first i wasn't when this movie first ended i was like this that was fine i don't know what to give it and i don't think it's as good as blue i guess i'm almost i didn't even realize i was doing this but i'm sort of naturally segueing into my rating i'm gonna give this movie a seven i think within if you had asked me to rate this within minutes for the show after i finished it I would have given it like a six maybe um, because I just, 
the ending wasn't sitting right with me, but having had a little bit of time to think about it, I think there's so much complexity and there's so many ways to interpret the movie that I do think it is really, really good. I don't think it's as good as like blue, which again, I think is a little unfair to compare. There's, there's a reason why people compare these movies. It's understandable, but they're, they're their own standalone pieces. And as its own standalone piece, just the movie white in general is a very interesting, complex movie with a lot to say. And it didn't blow me away. It didn't make me laugh as much as I could have. And I kind of almost want, uh, I mean, I do like an ambiguous ending. I like that you don't know where their lives are going. I think it's so funny to me that they, Kislowski added this ending like six months after he shot it was just like, uh, let's shoot this scene where she does the sign language. And if it didn't have this scene in the movie, this would be like a six or even a five. But that one scene just sort of makes you re-examine everything you've just watched and view it in a slightly different light. And I think it's so important. And I'm glad, man, I'm glad it's in there. It's it's, an, it's another just check mark in his favor. of He was editing his movie and felt like something was missing because he just has that instinct and put it in there. And it really elevates the movie for me. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. I think a seven is fair. I, uh, I, I definitely would recommend it too. I, I can't remember what episode it was, but I talked about uh, how, you know, one of my favorite YouTubers, Red Letter Media, they don't do ratings. They just say whether they recommend a movie or not. I give the scores because I know people think scores are fun, but I think I am going to start just saying, do I recommend this also? And I do recommend it. I, I definitely recommend it. It's worth at least one watch. If it doesn't click with you, that's fine, but I don't think anyone can say it would be a waste of 90 minutes of their time. If they like film, obviously, going back to my previous Marvel Cinematic Universe Snyder Cut conversation. <laughs> yeah, okay. But now it's time to recommend a movie, and it's time for me to pause the podcast while I think of a movie to recommend because I didn't think about this at all. Oh, no. Hitting the pause button. Well... If you've made it this far into the episode, I'd like to issue an apology. I've been saying Julie Delphi the whole show, and uh, I'm not going to be able to scrub that out. So I'm just going to say right here, right now, <laughs> looking up movies she was in for recommendations, I'm sorry. It's apparently Julie Delphi. Uh, and even that sounds wrong saying, I am so sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I thought there was an H in there. I was, I was like typing up her name and I saw I misspelled it. And I was like, wait, what is it? Delpy. What the fuck? And I was like, no, I've got an hour of me saying Julie Delphi, motherfucker. Uh, but I'm sorry. Uh, but to make up for it, hey, if you're a Delpy fan, I've got a couple movies for you. That's right, too. Because... I'm sorry. I don't know. I just thought these looked neat. And I don't know when the fuck else I would recommend them. One of them, I guess I could do if I was ever doing sort of like a lesbian love story movie. Hey, can you guess what movie it is? It's called, But I'm a Cheerleader. I have a very fond, fond memory of watching this movie. I watched it uh, in LA when I was on my road trip, laying in my bunk in the hostel late at night, sipping on some vodka watching this beloved cult lesbian movie 
starring Natasha Leone, who I love. Apparently, Julie Delpy, Delpy. <laughs> uh, she, I just, I just pulled up the scene and watched just to make a hundred percent sure she was in the movie. And if she was who I remembered, she shows up in the when they go to the gay bar and dances with Natasha Leone, and she's just as foxy back then as she is in this movie. But yeah, but I'm a cheerleader. It's like, I, it's, I mean, it's not for everybody. But uh, man, I fucking love it so much. It's a little bit campy, a little bit silly. It's about, uh, it's sort of uh, about these people that are at a sort of a gay conversion camp type thing. And, you know, but it, it's nice because it's like pretty triumphant in terms of, it, it's definitely through the LGBTQ lens in terms of not, this is not okay. We're rooting for our 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 characters who don't sort of conform to what the sexuality that their parents would prefer would be. Uh, Natasha Leone's great in it. If you want to see Delpy, she shows up and she's stunning, of course. And I'm going to throw in uh, Two Days in New York. Uh, I assume this is like some sort of uh, weird, I don't know if it's like a sequel or... Yeah, they're both... So there's Two Days in Paris and there's Two Days in New York which are both directed by Julie Delpy. I didn't realize. I've not seen Paris. I didn't realize Two Days in New York was a sequel? Question mark? Uh, it makes sense, but Two Days in New York is uh, Julie Delpy and Chris Rock. They're a married couple, and her weird French family comes to visit. I only say weird because the movie is sort of emphasizes how culturally they clash with sort of Chris Rock's American ideals, but it's a movie I bought on a whim and watched and just really liked. I You got to love, again, talking about comedians and more dramatic roles. Chris Rock is very good in the movie. Uh, Delpy's great. It's not a movie that I have insane memory of. I, I need to watch it again, but I remember liking it a lot. And then while I'm just recommending Delpy stuff, like, why not? Fuck it. Delpy all day. She directed it too. I didn't even realize. I was about to recommend it to you guys and then I clicked on the profile and was like, holy shit, she directed it too. So super ties in with the movie. I think uh, the character that was in it for 10 minutes, <laughs> I don't know. I think she's like the most prominent person, at least for an American in this movie. So that's what I'm going to base my recommendations off of. I was like, should I recommend Gone Girl? I don't know. I can't imagine anybody that's seen Three Colors White has not seen Gone Girl. So it seemed like a lame recommendation. I do like that movie a lot. I'd recommend it too. Three for one. You guys are so lucky. And I'm so lucky that you joined me here at the end of the episode. You're great. I love you. I hope you guys keep listening. Stay tuned for my other episodes. <laughs> but mostly stay tuned for, if you're tuning in this, stay tuned for Red. It's It's coming soon. I can't wait to watch it. I am really crossing my fingers that it blows my socks off. I was going to say, blows me out of the water and knocks my socks off. I combine the two until it blows my socks off. Uh, remember that sexual term? I don't know. <laughs> I appreciate you guys joining me. You're the best. And uh, as I always say, I'll catch you.